0: I invite you to take your Bibles now and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, Luke 18. I'm going to read the verses 9 through 17, and we're focusing on the verses 15 through 17 of Luke 18. Luke 18, beginning at the ninth verse. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Verse 15. Then they also brought infants to him, that he might touch them. But When the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. So far, the reading of God's holy word. As Christians, how should we view our children? How does God view our children? Is there any difference at all between your children and Vladimir Putin's children or Mick Jagger's children? Or your unbelieving neighbor's children? Or does God view all children alike? Today I want us to reflect upon the words of Luke 18, verses 15 to 17, where Jesus said, let the little children come to me. I draw your attention to three things, a commendable request, a careless rebuke, and a compassionate response. First of all, a commendable request. When you read about the life and ministry of Jesus, it's not difficult to see his concern for children. On several occasions, he healed them of sickness. He also raised some of them from the dead. Parents came to him in in distress over the condition of their child, and Jesus restored them. He was tender and affectionate. In our text for this afternoon, there were those, presumably parents or close relatives, who brought children to Jesus. Verse 15 says they brought babies or infants. Now, the parallel account in Matthew and Mark says they brought little children or young children. In Matthew and Mark, the word children is a Greek word which is rightly translated young children. But the word that is used here in Luke is a Greek word which means infants or nursing babies. If we combine the accounts, we conclude that parents were bringing young children from infancy through to perhaps toddler age, nursing babies as well as toddlers. Verse 15 tells us the reason they brought them to Jesus, that he might touch them. The account in Matthew says that they wanted Jesus to put his hands on them and pray The account in Mark mentions Jesus blessing them. These parents wanted Jesus to bless their sons and daughters. Now, it strikes me. It strikes me as rather remarkable that these people had the courage to bring their children to Jesus. Why do I say that? Because by this time, he was despised by the religious leaders. He was despised by the religious authorities. This event took place toward the end of his earthly ministry, at a time when it was no longer safe to openly associate with him. If you were too close to Jesus, you ran the risk of being put out of the synagogue. It is very possible that these parents would end up in a confrontation with the religious authorities. Nevertheless, they came to Jesus. Congregation, isn't this a rather heartwarming scene? Parents coming with their infants and young children to be touched and blessed by Jesus. Undoubtedly, they had seen what Jesus' hands were able to do. They had witnessed the cleansing of lepers, the healing of the sick, and the casting out of demons. Therefore, even though they risked confrontation with the religious authorities, they nevertheless decided to bring their children to Jesus so that those hands, those healing, cleansing, comforting, powerful hands could be laid upon their children. Could these parents have done anything better for their children than this? Anything at all that would be more profitable than for, the, for their children than to receive that touch, the prayers, and the blessing of Jesus? I think it's important that we consider for a moment who these children were. They were what? Covenant children. They were sons and daughters of the covenant. Children who stood in a special relationship with the Lord. The Lord had said to Abraham in Genesis 17, verse 7, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. These parents who came to Jesus were descendants of Abraham. The children and nursing babies that they held in their arms were also descendants of Abraham. All the baby boys bore the mark of circumcision, a sign that they were in a covenant relationship with the Lord. In Genesis 17.10, the Lord said to Abraham, This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep, every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And so these children who were brought to Jesus were part of the covenant community. Although most of them were not old enough to possess faith, they nevertheless bore the mark of faith in their circumcision. In Romans 4.11, how did the Apostle Paul describe circumcision? How did he describe it? He said that Abraham received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. A seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. Abraham put his faith in God and was subsequently circumcised as a seal, a proof of his faith. His circumcision was a sign of justification and regeneration. It sealed, it made certain his standing of being righteous in God's eyes by faith. Although faith was not yet present... These infants that were brought to Jesus also bore the sign and seal of faith, justification, and cleansing in their circumcision. Even though it was a sign of salvation, circumcision was given both to adult converts like Abraham and children of adult converts. Why was it given to both believers and their children? Because God established a visible community that bore the sign of His grace and salvation. A community in covenant relationship with Him. While circumcision circumcision did not guarantee the salvation of infants, it brought the recipient into the covenant community. It was within this covenant community that the children of believers were to be led to the faith that circumcision pointed to. I want to emphasize that in the Old Testament, circumcision did not automatically convey salvation. Yet it was a sign of salvation. The cutting away of the foreskin symbolized the cutting away of evil. It was an outward sign of the fact that God required a circumcised heart. Circumcision represented the removal of the sinful nature. Only by the cutting away of corruption could they be saved. Circumcision was a sign that they were born unclean and stood in need of salvation by grace. Therefore, circumcision was a sign which pointed them to the Messiah. It directed them to Jesus Christ, who alone can remove man's corruption, sin, and evil. Circumcision was a bloody sign directing God's people to him whose blood would be shed to make atonement for sinners. With these things in mind, how precious it was when these parents brought their infants to Jesus. The sign of circumcision, which had been in use for 2,000 years since Genesis 17, was meant to be a sign of salvation and cleansing in the Messiah. He was now with them. Here he was in their midst. He was the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham. Therefore, it was right and good for the parents to bring their children. For Jesus was the one who was able to save them. The one who was able to remove their sinful nature. He was able to remove their corruption and cleanse them. Every single Israelite should have come with their children to be blessed by Jesus. This should have been the desire of every single parent in the land. There should have been line up for miles and miles of parents bringing their children. They were covenant people, and he was the Christ of the covenant. They and their infant children bore the sign of the covenant, and he was the one in whom the promises of the covenant were fulfilled. Yes, brothers and sisters, these parents did the right thing when they brought their children to Jesus. The parents may not have understood everything about him. Perhaps they did not yet fully understand that he was the eternal son of God in human flesh. And perhaps they did not yet understand that Jesus had come into the world to suffer and die as the Lamb of God for the sin of his people. Nevertheless, they did understand that Jesus was a special man sent from God to speak the word of the Lord to them. They knew he had the power to heal, to bless, and to transform lives. They could see clearly enough that the Spirit of God was upon him. And that if he were to touch their children, lay his hands upon them, bless them, and to pray for them, they would be blessed. This Jesus who had healed children and even raised some of them from the dead, also had the power to bless them. Why would any sane Israelite keep his covenant children away from the Christ of the covenant? The one who could grant them the eternal blessings of the covenant. These parents evidently believe that Jesus was able to bless their children. However, Our text brings us, secondly, from a commendable request to a careless rebuke. A careless rebuke. How did the disciples respond? Go away. Go away. Verse 15 says, when the disciples saw this, they... Rebuked them. That word rebuke there in verse 15 is a very strong word. It's the same word that is used several times in the Gospels of Jesus rebuking evil spirits. When Jesus rebuked evil spirits, he did so not with gentle, polite language, but with strong and pointed words. In the same way, the disciples rebuked these parents and tried to hinder them from bringing their children to Jesus. They foolishly assumed that the Master had no time for children, no time for infants. Jesus was an important teacher, after all, and important people don't have time for unimportant children. Congregation had the disciples forgotten that within the Israelite homes in Egypt, whose doorposts and lintels were covered with the blood of the Lamb, within those homes were what? Children and infants. Yes, children and infants were protected by the blood of the Lamb. And when the Israelites passed through the Red Sea and were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, included in that company were what? Children and infants, they too were baptized into Moses, their mediator in the cloud and in the sea. Had the disciples forgotten these things? Furthermore, in Deuteronomy 29, when Moses renewed the covenant in Moab, included in that covenant assembly were little ones, children and infants. Moses said, All of you stand today before the Lord your God, your leaders and your tribes and your elders and your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones and your wives, that you may enter into covenant with the Lord your God. Moses wanted not only adults, but also the little ones to stand before the Lord. The covenant little ones were not excluded. That at the end of the book of Joshua, when the Israelites had received their inheritance and were established in the land, Joshua called the tribes together to challenge them to remain faithful. And you know what he said toward the end of that message. He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, Joshua's words were a challenge to Israel to see to it that their sons and daughters, their little ones and their infants served and worshipped the Lord. You could also turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 13 where we read this. Now all Judah, with their little ones, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. Or Joel 2 verse 15, blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and nursing infants. Gather the children and nursing infants. Had the disciples forgotten all these things? By circumcision, the mark of the covenant, infants were received into the church of the Old Testament and distinguished from the children of the nations. For 2,000 years, they were included in God's church. If that was so before the coming of Christ, why would it not be so when the Messiah himself was with them in the flesh instead of rebuking the parents, the disciples should have commended and encouraged them. The disciples should have said, bring your covenant children, your babies, your little ones, your nursing infants to the Christ of the covenant. He has come not only for the sheep, but also for the little lambs. The Good Shepherd cares about the young lambs. Bring them so that they may be blessed. Congregation, do Christians today sometimes make a similar mistake as the disciples when they suggested that only those who possess faith can be blessed by Jesus Christ? I think this text shows us that it's not only believing adults who can receive his blessing. It's also the children of believers, infants who have not yet themselves come to faith or confess Christ, can be blessed and are blessed by virtue of their covenant relationship with the Lord. Believers and their children are taken up into God's covenant, and Jesus has a special interest in them. Today, Today, on this side of the cross, we no longer practice circumcision as a sign of the covenant. With the shedding of Jesus' blood, circumcision has become obsolete along with all the bloody rituals of the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there is an outward sign of inclusion in the covenant community. What is that sign? When Abraham repented and believed, he was circumcised. When sinners in the New Testament repented and believed, they were baptized. Baptism is now the outward sign of inclusion in the covenant. And since we find nothing at all in the New Testament that would indicate that the children of believers are no longer in God's covenant and no longer part of His church, since there's nothing at all in the New Testament that would lead us to believe that the practice of including infants in God's gracious covenant has been changed... Since we find nothing of a sort we assume that along with believing parents their children ought to be baptized. We baptize our infants for the very same reason that the Israelites circumcised their infants. Baptism is now the sign of God's covenant. It is a sign that believers and their children have a unique relationship with the Lord through Jesus Christ. The water of baptism does not itself wash away sin any more than did the rite of circumcision. But it points to the fact that as water washes away dirt from our bodies, so the blood and spirit of Christ wash away our sins While baptism today does not guarantee the salvation of our infants, it brings the recipient into the covenant community. It is within this covenant community that the children of believers are led to the salvation that baptism signifies. Brothers and sisters, what we need to remember is that Jesus is ready and willing to bless not only the sheep, But also the little lambs let us not think that he has no concern for our nursing infants if the sheep are set apart by God so are the lambs if the root is holy so are the branches our catechism rightly says by baptism the mark of the covenant Infants should be received into the Christian church and should be distinguished from the children of unbelievers. If you're a believer, your children, your infants, should be received into the Christian church. We come then to point number three. Having considered a commendable request and a careless rebuke, we want to conclude with a compassionate response. A compassionate response. Have a look with me, please, in your Bibles to verse 16. Verse 16. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children or the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. The parallel in the Gospel of Mark adds something. It says in Mark 10 that when Jesus saw how the disciples were hindering the children from being brought to him, he was greatly displeased. The New American Standard Version says he was indignant. Not often do we read in the Gospels that Jesus was angry with his disciples. He was sometimes undoubtedly frustrated with them, disappointed with them, and grieved on account of them. But not very often do we read that he was angry. On this occasion, however, Jesus was indignant. The disciples were turning away the lambs of his fold, turning away the young, weak, and helpless lambs who were part of his church. Jesus said, let them come to me. Do not hinder them. Don't block the way for the children to come. We should keep in mind, congregation, That Jesus did not say this just because children are charming, cuddly, and sweet. He didn't say this merely because he enjoyed holding babies in his arms or bouncing them on his lap. Neither did he say this as though children are naturally innocent. That's what some people believe. Children are innocent and do not sin unless they learn it from others. From a biblical perspective, that is certainly false. Children do not come into this world with a neutral innocence. Neither did they come into this world seeking God and righteousness. Jesus knew better than any other that they are sinful from the womb, conceived and born in sin. Their natures are defiled with sinful tendencies and wayward desires from the very moment of conception. Well, why then did Jesus say, let the little children come to me, for to such belongs the kingdom of God? Because, as I have already been saying throughout, these children were covenant children. They belong in the kingdom. The promises of the gospel, which were extended to the parents, were also for them. The promises of the kingdom are for them. Jesus is their king, and they belong in the kingdom. Now, congregation... The fact that our children belong to the kingdom means that we have a responsibility to bring them to the Lord so that He may lay His hands upon them and bless them. How do we do that? We do that, first of all, by praying for them. We talk to God about our children. We ask Him to bless them. As Jesus was willing to lay his hands upon these children in our text, so he is willing to bless your covenant children. As parents, you need to bring them before the throne of grace. Ask him, ask him. But not only are you to talk to the Lord about your children, you are also to talk to your children about the Lord. Teach them about the Savior. Urge them to turn from sin and to live as children of the kingdom. Teach them to love, serve, and worship the king. Teach them both the privileges and the responsibilities of citizenship. Several years ago, A survey was conducted in the U.S. indicating that most parents are are leaving it totally up to the church to teach their children about spiritual matters. In the survey, 85% said they, as parents, have the primary responsibility to teach their children about religious beliefs and spiritual values. But when the researchers examined what was actually happening, the result was very disturbing. The majority of parents who participated in the survey reported that in a typical week, they spent very little time, practically none, discussing spiritual matters with their children. Most of them were willing to let their church provide all their children's spiritual training. The very people who claimed responsibility for the spiritual growth of their children were doing virtually nothing about it. Congregation, think about it. Why are we seeing such moral and spiritual chaos in North America today? Why have homosexual marriages become legalized? Why are we seeing so much sexual promiscuity? Why is transgenderism normalized? Why have we moved in the direction of assisted suicide and euthanasia? Why are we killing 100,000 babies each year here in Canada? Why are we seeing such terrible darkness sweeping over North America? I don't know if the following event actually happened or if it's just one of those interesting emails that went around, but it is nevertheless worth quoting. It is said that a pastor was invited to deliver the opening prayer at a session of the Kansas House of Representatives. Everyone was expecting the usual, you know, the generalities. However, as the story goes, this is what he prayed. Heavenly Father, we come before you today to ask your forgiveness and to seek your direction and guidance. We know your word says, woe to those who call evil good, but that is exactly what we have done. We have lost our spiritual equilibrium and reversed our values. We confess that we have ridiculed the absolute truth of your word and called it pluralism. We have worshiped other gods and called it multiculturalism. We have endorsed perversion and called it alternative lifestyles. We have exploited the poor and called it the lottery. We have rewarded laziness and called it welfare. We have killed our unborn and called it choice. We have shot abortionists and called it justifiable. We have neglected to discipline our children and called it building self-esteem. We have abused power and called it politics. We have coveted our neighbors' possessions and called it ambition. We have polluted the air with profanity and pornography and called it freedom of expression. We have ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and called it enlightenment. Search us, O God, and know our hearts today. Cleanse us from every sin and set us free. Guide and bless these men and women who have been sent to direct us to the center of your will. And we openly ask these things in the name of your Son, the living Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Brothers and sisters, isn't that a rather accurate assessment of what has happened here in North America? Why have we become so morally confused, twisted, and corrupt? Why are so many people calling evil good and good evil? Isn't it largely the result of a generation of children who were never brought to Jesus? Isn't it largely because a generation of children was never taught to live as children of the King? Children who never learn to live according to the laws of the kingdom of God. Many of our judges, politicians, and lawmakers have very little use for biblical morality and ultimate truth. Their decisions are so terribly flawed because they were never rightly taught that children of the king must live by the word of the king. Their parents may have been professing Christians, but they did not faithfully bring their children to Jesus. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Covenant children are precious in the sight of Christ. He cares for them, He cares for them no less than He cares for adults. They are an important part of his church, and they are not to be neglected. They must be trained to look to Jesus from their earliest days. They need to hear and learn the gospel so that Christ becomes the center of their thoughts and lives. In verse 17, Jesus reminded his disciples of just how receptive young children can be to spiritual things. They are so receptive that Jesus used them to illustrate how each one of us must respond to the truths of the gospel. Jesus said, please look with me to verse 17. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. When a young child learns about God, he has no difficulty believing it. When he hears about creation, the fall, the promise of a Savior, the flood, the Old Testament stories leading up to the coming of Christ. When he hears of Jesus' birth, life, suffering, death, resurrection, and ascension, he has no great difficulty believing it. When a very young child is taught to pray and taught the meaning of prayer, he accepts it without any major objections. He readily believes in God, in Jesus, in the way of salvation, and in the glory that is promised to those who love the Lord. He accepts the doctrine of heaven and what the Bible says about hell. Jesus told his disciples that instead of sending the children away, they had to become like them. They had to have the trusting and humble attitude of little children. Jesus turned the situation completely around. Instead of saying that these children had to grow up and act like adults, he said that the adults had to turn and become like children. They had to become like children in their simple, humble acceptance of truth. They had to receive the reign of Christ without any questions, without any buts, without any excuses or misgivings. Those who receive the kingdom of God in a childlike manner will enter it. That's the promise of Jesus. A child can enter the kingdom, and a grandfather can enter the kingdom. Age is not the important thing. Entrance into the kingdom requires simple, childlike trust in Jesus, childlike dependence on the grace of God. Do you have that childlike faith? Have you fully embraced the message of the cross? Brothers and sisters, It's interesting that Luke records the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector just before the words of our text. Verse 17 sets forth the requirements of humble, childlike faith to receive entrance into the kingdom of God. In the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, the Pharisee trusted what? In his own good works. He trusted himself. The tax collector, on the other hand, humbly sought the mercy of God as a helpless sinner. The tax collector went down to his house justified. Why? Why? Because of his childlike dependence on the mercy of God. That is what each one of us must have, a simple, humble, childlike reliance on the mercy of God, you must become like a child. Our text reminds us that not only do we teach our, chil- our covenant children, but our covenant children also teach us. As they demonstrate childlike faith, we are to learn from them to receive the kingdom as a little child. Yes, we must bring our children to Jesus, but we must also allow our children to bring us to Jesus. We must teach our children, but we must also be taught by them. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter You know, sometimes adults, we adults can be so intelligent, clever, and educated, trained in philosophy, sociology, science, and so on, college and university graduates. But sometimes, with all our learning, we can become great fools if we no longer accept the fundamental truths of the Christian faith. We can receive an impressive education. We can get a PhD. We can become respected journalists, scientists, lawyers, and sociologists. Yet we are fools if we cannot accept the plain teaching of the Word of God. Sometimes highly educated people need to go back, need to go back to to school at the feet of a child. A child who humbly and simply believes the message of grace. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Let us then teach our covenant children and let us also be taught by them so that together we may enter the kingdom washed, justified, and sanctified by the kindness and grace of our triune God. So as we close, I urge you, I urge you, if you have never done so, put your faith in the one who was crucified for sinners and receive the kingdom like a little child, like a little child. Let us pray. Lord, like the disciples, sometimes our priorities can be so confused. Sometimes things that we think are important are really rather insignificant. And sometimes the things that we think are unimportant are actually very important. We pray that you will sanctify us, that you will shape us, that you will transform our minds and hearts so that what is important to you what is important to the Lord Jesus would be important to us. We thank you, Lord, that you do embrace believers and their seed into your covenant. And we pray, Lord, that we would do all that is in our power to bring our little ones to be blessed by Jesus. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you will continue your work in each family here. Lord, we have many young families here. We have many children here. and We desire that together we may embrace the Christ of the covenant and live our lives for his glory. Lord, may the children embrace the message of salvation. And may we who are adults become like a little child in our humble acceptance of the truths of your word. Receive our praises as we conclude this service. Bless our fellowship afterward. And strengthen us in our service in this week. In all that we do, in all that happens in our homes. Protect us from the evil one. Preserve us in the spiritual battle. May our homes, our children, be fully committed to the Savior, that gracious, tender shepherd. In his name we pray. Amen.